Hey everybody, welcome to a Single Tree Podcast. We're here with Dr. Scott Stegman. He's a psychologist. Yes, sir. In our office here at Real Life Counseling, and we are thrilled that you're here to talk to us about psychological testing, personality, theory of personality, and your approach to helping people. Uh, you work from a narrative approach, helping yeah. people, which right. uh, part of that is, you know, we've talked a lot about the development of self, how we find ourselves, um, you know, how we view ourselves and narrative approach would uh, say that um, the self is socially constructed. Yes, that's right. And so we'll start there. Okay. If you can tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah. So narrative is a little bit of a different concept. Uh, the idea behind narrative is that our realities aren't um, objective, that uh, we have our own biases and how we see things, how we view the world. And uh, not only that, but that we view things through a lens that's socially constructed. So we take the feedback that we receive from our friends, our family, our neighbors, uh, our enemies, uh, the powers that be, and mm -hmm. through all of that information and through those social interactions, we come to an idea of who we are as self. Um, it's very different. Uh, it's, it's a kind of something that's emerged through the ages. Um, eons ago, it seems, we used to see things and, and think that we could view the world scientifically, objectively, we know exactly what something is. Uh, and then we sort of progress as a society where we realize, oh, we don't quite know things objectively. Maybe there's kind of a bent to it. And now in kind of our postmodern turn, we see ourselves and the world and, and we think, well, maybe a sense of objectivity is impossible to find. Yeah. And instead, we just view it through our social lenses. Uh, and, and so that's kind of where things land uh, in the narrative camp. We think that all of our reality, including our sense of self, is, is constructed uh, through narrative. Through relationships. Yeah, through, through how relationships. Yeah. Um, if I could give an, an example, a metaphor for how this, I'm just spurting stuff out here, but uh, that's great. There's, there's a metaphor about baseball. Um, that I wanted to throw out here that maybe helps this idea come across more clearly of, of social constructivism. Um, so I just mentioned that we've gone through kind of three phases as a society, kind of an objective phase, and then a phase where we realized our bias, and then a phase now where we realize how uh, dependent we are on social constructivism. And so this, this metaphor is a baseball metaphor. Uh, I don't know if you guys like baseball sure. at all. Yeah, okay. I like the Red Sox. <clears throat> the Red Sox, all right. So, yeah, I'm kind of a Royals fan. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, in baseball... <laughs> I okay. am, too. I okay. Like right. So, in baseball, uh, you know, you have an umpire, and the pitcher will throw a pitch, and uh, the umpire has to declare whether it's a strike or a ball or, you know, whatever. And so, in the, the first way that we viewed reality, in the objective way... Uh, this, this umpire might have said, uh, you know, I call them as they are. Uh, whatever I see, that's, that's what they are. If it's a strike, I call a strike. If it's a ball, I call a ball. It's true. Uh, yeah, it's Objectively. truth, right? Yeah. Uh, the second, the more like uh, I recognize my bias umpire might say, well, I call them as I see them. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know? 
as it as it comes across the plate you know maybe I'll get it wrong but how I see it if I see it as a ball I'm gonna call it as a ball if I see it as a strike call it as a strike well the third umpire from the constructivist camp would say you guys are both wrong they're not anything until I call them <laughs> yeah. and it's true yeah. in the game of baseball <laughs> a ball flying across a plate or to the left or the right of a plate it means nothing it, it really means until nothing until someone yeah. speaks meaning into it right and so that's the idea of social construction that we're bringing to a sense of self, that really our sense of self is developed through all of these different social rules and relationship interactions that we then internalize and figure out who we think we are. Yeah. It's a little bit like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yes. There you go. Um, if no one's perceived it or there's no um, sort of assessment from something or someone um, yeah. on the outside then yeah. it's almost it, like it doesn't exist if a right? single so. tree grows tall yeah <laughs> uh, exactly and <laughs> then it's still by itself <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah so so it's the idea that um the perception and and how we're viewed by others matters to us yes um on and, a fundamental level i yeah. mean this isn't just yeah. It's not just a concept we're playing around with. This is that our very sense of self is developed and determined by these interactions. And there's no way to actually be a self that's then right. without relationship, without being in a context. Yes, right? I, I think that's right. In fact, there's research that bears that out. Um, I don't, don't know if you've heard of the study where they took a child, um, a baby, uh, who was an orphan, and mm -hmm. they decided to put this baby in a solitary room and they gave this baby everything it needed for survival, food, water, warmth, uh, but never had any social interaction. And I'm sure you guys know that the end of the story isn't a happy one. The baby ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we have ethics boards and things now that prevent stuff from like that, you know, no more experience from happening. Like that, yeah. Yeah. But um, what we learned from it is that at our core, Humans are social beings, and we need those interactions. Mm -hmm. It's like a was a failure to thrive kind of yeah yeah right right that's right. Where a sense of meaning and our sense of self, it's even even on a biological level, just through touch and proximity, mm -hmm. no words even needed. Just on that level, we need to know. We yeah. learn how we are, who we are, just through even proximity and biological interaction. Yeah, we have a need for connection. Mm -hmm. It's always there. So the self is a is not a it's not an objective idea, um, right? But maybe it's also not static. It yeah. could change, or I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's fluid. Yeah. But uh, certainly, if you put an individual in different contexts, um, if you take an individual over the course of his or her lifetime, you're going to see differences. Uh, there will be change. Mm -hmm. We grow, we adapt, we learn. So is that is that through just a process of maybe reevaluating certain concepts that you were operating off of for a certain amount of time, and then deciding, mm, no, I don't yeah. like those concepts. That's a good question. Mm. I. Yeah, I mean, what does it take to, to shift that sense of self? Is it just a matter of understanding and learning? Or, and I don't know. I mean, I wish I could offer a definitive answer. I think that we, 
you know, it's different things for, for different people. Um, I think some of it is learning. Some of it is growing. I think some of it is, you know, from a narrative perspective, we would say that we're constantly evaluating our surroundings, constantly evaluating the, the episodes of our lives and trying to make sense of them. And if something happens that doesn't fit our story of ourselves, who we are and, and how we fit in the world, if something happens and it just doesn't fit in there, then we have to adapt that story. We have to change it so that it does make sense of what happened. So I think that on that level, whenever we have to shift our understanding, our story of ourselves, that's when you start to see change in personality and change in who we are. Our concepts have to change then almost. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways that you uh, help people. That's, yeah. that's what narrative therapy does. It's, you know, the, the narrative of yourself then is, um, is how you look at yourself inside your own story. That's right. Right. And then um, when you get maybe some reflection from, your environment or you get a reflection from another in a relationship then um, you can change that's right you can maybe alter that narrative a little bit maybe it doesn't become something completely different but you have to interpret the information that you're getting right. in light of your narrative that's right I come yourself. alongside my clients and I hear their stories I take a lot of time to listen and and try to stand in their shoes for a bit and then and our, the therapeutic objective is to retell their story in different ways. And we use a lot of different techniques to do that. You know, I use uh, CBT and mindfulness and other techniques too, but mm-hmm. it's all underneath an umbrella of helping them develop a different understanding of who they are and how this stuff fits for them. Um, it's, cool. yeah, it's a neat process. Uh, again, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's not just me, you know, helping them retell their stories, but it's them interacting with other people in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then they get different feedback. They see different things happen in their lives. True change happens, in other words. And through that, they start to develop a better understanding of themselves and maybe how they could fit better in the environment that they're in. For sure. It's awesome. So story then also is a way and kind of using this this paradigm as a way of helping your clients maybe become more aware of elements or specifics of the story that they may not even know that they're living out. Yes, exactly. Um, In fact, one of the key components of narrative therapy that I don't get to use very often, but um, is having not just the therapist, not just the client tell their story, but bringing other people in who could tell their story from a different perspective, from seeing it from a total outside view. And then, yes, they hear it, and all of a sudden maybe something clicks for them, something changes in the way they see themselves or, or their world, and, yeah, the story adapts and grows. To the process of just kind of right. using story to facilitate awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call it uh, an insight-oriented approach to therapy. It's not very different from mm-hmm. a psychodynamic approach or mm-hmm. uh, things like that. It's an idea of developing awareness, developing insight into what's going on. And then that's the first step. Once you realize why things are happening the way they are, why we relate to others the way we do, 
then we can make choices about change and how we really want to interact and who we want to be. When you when you know yourself, you can do differently, or you can right. maybe yep. have just have more control and and uh, yeah, and choose that's to change based on that. Where some of the testing comes in too, yeah. uh, as far as insight goes, testing helps us Good. to get a clearer picture of maybe our personality tendencies, our yeah. ways of relating to others. And once we can gain insight about that, yeah. about who we are and how we come across, maybe even in ways that we didn't. Uh, see ourselves, then then we can address it. We can start to approach it. Yeah, that's great. Let's let's talk about psychological testing a little bit. Um, and you can tell us as much as you want to about the process and the different, yeah. you know, because there there are different types of tests that you run. Uh, but it's it's just a really powerful tool for assessment and uh, sort of helping someone get to know themselves and yeah. and gain some of that insight right and and it's a little deeper than um just going to see a therapist and then yeah and and kind of defining a problem to work on and then Mm -hmm. and then working on it throughout therapy it's um, a little more comprehensive assessment um and so just tell us about that i mean it'd be great to to know just kind of how that fits because we're we're talking about how we view ourselves Mm -hmm. in light of um, how others view us and, you know, just the, the idea of the self as a socially constructed thing. Um, and so, you know, obviously having a thorough assessment of yourself and getting to know yourself in a deeper way mm-hmm. through psychological testing could be really helpful. Absolutely. In that way. Yeah. Yeah. And different people use testing in different ways. Um, for me, I see it through that narrative lens. You know, we're putting together more details to your story. We're seeing more about who you are and how you relate. And so once we can get those details, that helps us uh, from an intervention standpoint, from a therapy standpoint, to, to know more about, you know, why is it that you're having these problems? What's going on here? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, testing, you know, it's a, it's a large thing. We do it for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people come in, they want testing because, you know, they want to know for sure if they have a disorder because they're considering medication mm-hmm. or, you know, one that I get a request for a lot is, you know, does my kid have ADHD? They want some kind of data to mm-hmm. support that diagnosis before sure. they jump into some kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. I think it's really good for us. We want to know what it is that we're dealing with, Right. And so if we yes. can get data that's more objective, and this, <clears throat> these are good tests. Uh, the tests we have, uh, the, the reliability and the accuracy of them is tremendous. Yeah, um, that's great. So we can get really good, uh, accurate information. And I measure a number of different things. We look at personality patterns. We can do things like the Myers-Briggs that gives a kind of positive uh, perspective on someone's personality, but we can also do more clinical measures like uh, the MMPI or MCMI, which are tests that look at symptoms mm-hmm. and why people are having the problems that they do, and then it ties it back to their personality. Uh, so maybe a person is having certain symptoms because of a personality trait that they have. It's not just like a cold that they caught, but um, right. actually something growing That's out of point. who yeah. they are. Uh, give IQ tests. You know, I give uh, I give some personality tests that are uh, a little more um, 
curious and interesting, like the, the Rorschach inkblot test, you know, it's considered a projective measure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a number of different tests that we give and they all have different functions, different purposes. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they all give us data about who a person is and maybe why they're experiencing the problems that they are, right. which gives us direction in therapy, how to address that. That's great. So you said, uh, you know, sometimes there's there can be cases where where people are experiencing certain symptoms mm-hmm. um, of a disorder, a psychological disorder, um, that may be linked to uh, parts of their personality. And right. you know, I think that's an, an interesting idea. Like you said, it's not just like catching a cold or, or a disease or something like that. Right. Um, <clears throat> but it's, uh, you know, there are certain like things about their personality that might make them more susceptible to that's right. Certain types of symptoms. Yeah, and it's not um, always a bad thing. Yeah. So what? So what's like? Can you give us an example of something like sure. that? Sure. This is something I talk about with clients all the time. Um, they'll come in and they'll tell me about a certain set of symptoms that they're dealing with, and they'll be very distressed about it. And I'll try to say, well, actually, you know, th- this is sort of growing out of some of these other things in your life that are good things. Yeah. Um, for example. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about myself for a minute. Uh, I went through graduate school for five, six years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very uh, conscientious person, and I wouldn't have done very well in graduate school had I not been. That conscientiousness can sometimes border on obsessive-compulsive, you know, yeah. making sure all the details are, are right, being a little perfectionistic, uh, pushing myself. And in a way, that perfectionism helps me. It <clears throat> helped me do well in graduate school. It helps me... Right. To, uh, to read other people and, and kind of tune in to their expectations of me um, in a way that helps me in my job to, uh, to be sensitive to the cues, the verbal and nonverbal cues that come in therapy. Mm-hmm. But there's also a downside to that, right? Being hypervigilant to other people's cues all the time will wear you out. <laughs> uh, it can cause right. some anxiety. Yep. Being obsessive about things means that it's hard for me to let things go. Mm, yeah. And those are all symptoms, right? Right. It depends on which way you look at it. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, when we're thinking of it negatively, we, we call it, it's just anxiety, right? Right. It's a, it's a symptom or it's a, even a disorder, right? But, but actually, it, it is coming from this way that you are. Your That's personality right. is conscientious. And um, so the, the goal is not only to see the negative side of that, but to That's see right. it as... It's good and bad. It's a blessing yeah. and a curse. Developing the awareness again. Yeah. Viewing yourself holistically. Yeah. And seeing that, yeah, well, you know, maybe I do. I can see someone with uh, who struggles from ADHD maybe saying, well, yeah, I have some problems losing track of things, but I, man, I have energy. I can get some things done. Like right. Things that my friends can't do. Right. Um, my wife, uh, you know, she, she's a little, she can be a little more scattered on some things. Uh-huh. But if you want her to study for a test, that girl can cram like no other. She yeah. only takes like 10 minutes to study for a test and she'll ace it. <laughs> and she just has abilities, you know, cognitively yeah. that other people don't have. And it's like, well, yeah, but it has downsides too. Sure. Right. And so we have to look at both sides of things. Yeah, that's really helpful. And we can embrace that part of ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. if we realize mm-hmm. that, this is part of what it means to be human, is to have these different bents, these different flavors, and that society would not be what it is if, it, if we didn't have individuals with these 
different characteristics and abilities and, mm -hmm. and maybe even struggles. Uh, we just wouldn't be the place where we were. Right. Each personality has a role. That's right. To play and, you know, kind of helps create the fabric of our society. Yeah. Which is the people made up of the people in it. We were just joking before we started about <clears throat> how individuals who maybe have like a bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the energy that comes from hypomania uh, and people who are kind of entrepreneurial and can accomplish things that many of us look at as like, dang, that wears me out just thinking about mm -hmm. it. Um, right. You know, they, they can do stuff with that. And so, yeah, there's a downside to it. There's symptoms, problems, but it's also a key part of who we are and it has a lot of benefits too. Yeah. You get a lot of stuff done when, yeah. you're, when you have that much energy. You can be extremely productive. Yeah. I think, so that's that's part of the the role of psychological testing then, right? It's just to give us a clearer and and more whole, more a fuller picture of yeah. ourselves, um, not just to tease out the pathology or the negative Right. Yeah, that's traits. not the point. Yeah. We're not wanting to say, oh, wow, <laughs> you've got this problem and it's yeah. bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. How bad, you know, uh, just to tell you how bad it really is, right? Yeah. We um, all don't like tests, right? Like, just the word test kind <laughs> right. of gives us the creeps. It's like, oh, am I going to fail it? You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. You failed the psych test. <laughs> right. Sorry. But really, that's not the point. You know, we're not trying to do that. Uh, we're just trying to provide information and insight. Um, yeah. You know, some people come to me and they want, testing before they seek a new job. Sure. I think that's really cool. They want to know what am I good at? What is it that I'm going to like? What, what am I going to thrive doing? And, uh, and we get some really good information. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, sometimes we find places where people need to work on some things, uh, where they can shore themselves up and turn some of their weaknesses into strengths. And that's a cool process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a scary thing to think someone's going to examine my whole personality and, right. you know, the the good and bad things about it. And oh, yeah. You have so, to have a lot of courage. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, but maybe you could talk about how you sort of handle some of those things and how people could leverage, um, you know, the knowledge and insight that they gain about themselves mm -hmm. through the testing that will help them, you know, instead of just... Um, kind of revealing the negative things about ourselves. Yeah. Um, how do we look at both the good and bad things to be able to grow and, and change? Yeah. I think one of the most common places where people come to me for testing is when they're, they're just kind of stuck. You know, they don't know where to go next. Maybe they've been in therapy for a long time, a number of years, and they have an idea of some of their symptoms, but you know, they maybe have a sense too that there's more going on and you're just not quite sure where to turn next and maybe the therapist is, is feeling the same way and so I think that's actually a really good time uh, to come and to try to get some information through testing and like I said it takes a lot of courage because you are kind of laying yourself bare in front of another individual um, but one of the most beneficial things from testing is at the end of every report that I give there's like a one-page list of recommendations kind of where to go from here and so you know, I'm able in testing, and most clinicians are able in testing, to find areas that may be causing difficulties. And these may be things that you aren't even aware of. You know, we don't just look at, okay, is this person anxious? But we look at, 
uh, is this person avoiding conflict in their relationships? Mm. You know, oh, okay. All of a sudden we realize maybe they're not resolving things because their defense mechanism is to just avoid mm. the problem. Yeah. Uh, so that's a specific example of what, what might come out. Uh, we might find that this person is overly dependent on others. Mm -hmm. And then we start talking about boundaries and how to um, define yourself. Here we go, that sense of self, right? Define yourself kind of over against others and be, to be able to separate yourself in a healthy way and protect yourself. Yeah. Um, sometimes we find that people don't have a very dependable or effective coping mechanism. So there you go. That's something to work on. We need to right. figure out a way for you to deal with stress right. that's productive. So in all of these scenarios that I just gave you, the ideal goal here is we're not just poking around for the sake of prodding. We're actually looking for areas yeah. uh, that maybe you aren't aware of that might be contributing to some of the struggles you're going through. Mm -hmm. And then we give specific recommendations on how to shore those up. Yeah, there can be real, I think, benefits to testing yeah. because it gives a pretty clear, distinct conceptualization of a really robust thing that we call the personality. That's right? right. I mean, oftentimes in therapy, I know for, for myself, you know, you you try to get to know the, per, to know the person as, as well as you can, right? but it can just really accelerate. Absolutely the process and really make it more efficient and focused when you have some sort of tool that mm -hmm. gives you a clear conceptualization yeah. of their personality because it's just so the personality is just abstract it's it's robust yeah. it's, it's all beautifully over. complex right. right you're not going to catch and and even testing doesn't but you're not going to catch all the facets of someone's personality right. sitting with them for an hour a week, even if you meet with them for a few months. Yeah, that's, yeah. There's yeah. going to be things you don't see. There's stuff that we don't talk about. I mean, yeah, stuff that comes up in testing that it's like, oh, well, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of the tests I give, the Rorschach, you know, one of the things that it does really well is it helps us to see how individuals view the world, how they process information. And that is one of the most helpful things that I get from testing because I can see now like, oh, like no wonder you're, you're constantly trying to take in the big picture and that's overwhelming. We're not going to know that from talking to a client. We mm. might figure it out over a few years of therapy. It takes some time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. But you're getting But you're getting it fast. You know, mm. someone's coming in. Typically, um, a battery of tests like this is going to take a person maybe four or five hours to complete the whole set. Uh, and then it's usually a week or two for the clinician to score everything and write everything up. But when you get it back, you're getting a, a document that has all this stuff lined out. And if that goes to your clinician, I mean, just think about like what you're talking about. It becomes an accelerant mm. uh, catalyst, you might say, for therapy. Yeah, I've really, that's that's one of the, the main benefits that I've seen is just mm -hmm. being able to kind of shore up a very abstract thing and yeah. have, you know, a better conceptualization yep. earlier on in the process then right. you know that will take you a long time to learn the processes the other thing it might do is and i was just sharing that you know I, I just finished doing this other podcast on the therapeutic alliance which is the the connection between client and therapist the, the relationship and if you have something like this early on in therapy you can 
make connections with a person uh, on levels that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do before. Do you know there's a lot of research out there on something called therapist-client matching, hmm. where they were actually trying to find clinicians who would be better fits for therapists based on the two people's personality types. Hmm. And what they found was that actually you don't need a therapist of a certain personality, but their style might need to be a little bit different. Working with someone who's a little more directive, a therapist might need to take a little more passive stance and let them be more uh, self self-oriented, self-directed in the therapy process. And someone who maybe isn't quite as motivated, if they get matched up with a therapist who's very uh, open and dynamic, then the two kind of flounder, you know, and it's like they don't, they don't ever get anywhere. And so if you can have this information up front, uh, it can actually build the therapeutic alliance right from the get-go and help therapy to be more successful just because the therapist knew this approach is going to be better with this kind of client. That's a good That's a good point that I didn't yeah. even consider. Yeah. yeah. So it would be feasible then for someone maybe who's wanting to do some therapy. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Maybe kind of a first step would be able to get a psychological evaluation that might give them yeah. an impression on how to pick the right therapist. Yeah. Um, you know, usually I would recommend that clients go see the therapist first okay. uh, and meet with them and then maybe seek the evaluation because, frankly, assessments, you know, they're not for everybody. Uh, I, I talk them up. They have a lot of benefits, a lot of good things, but they really aren't for everybody. Uh, some clients might present with issues that, um, you know, are pretty understandable right from the get-go and um, some people like and appreciate short-term therapy. They come in, they work on a particular problem, they finish and they leave. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. And for that person, I'd probably say, eh, you know, your therapist can probably handle that. But if you're looking for more kind of long-term work or you wanna get into the complexities of your situation uh, and you know that's something you're interested in, then yeah, I think testing can offer a lot of good things. Let's talk about spirituality and how you kind of blend that into your work you know we're talking about a self we're talking about the socially constructed self yeah um you know and a lot and a lot of people uh you know especially when they're thinking about religion Mm -hmm. would tend to say or think um that religion is there to offer objective truth right right right. but from the narrative um perspective which is a postmodern um concept uh we're saying that even truth itself, ourselves, and how we look at ourselves is socially constructed. It's 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 maybe not completely fluid, but it is right. um, based on you know the reflections that we get from right. our environment and those yeah. around us. So, how does that all fit together when you're when you're talking to people about their spirituality? I think that's a great question. Uh, I you know identify as Christian and. You're right. That is one of the challenges that comes out of this kind of approach is it's more postmodern. It doesn't really like the idea of objective truth. Um, and so the two seem to you know, be at odds with one another. But I, I really don't think that's the entire story. Um, I think part of our whole selves, you know, there is a spiritual element to that. And, you know, furthermore, I think that uh, from a Christian perspective, there is a Christian Narrative. Now, I'm not talking about Christian culture narrative or a Christian political viewpoint or whatever. 
but I think that there is a true like narrative that's that's contained in Scripture and uh, and from God that offers kind of I don't know adjustments, correctives, um, guidance, counseling to to our own narratives, and it can help us reframe and and uh, mold our perspectives on things in a different way. In fact. Um, I, you know, I used to be a youth pastor, and I did this sermon mm-hmm. <laughs> on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says things like, uh, you know, blessed are the poor, or he says, um, you know, all, all these little sayings that kind of go against common sense. They're hard mm-hmm. to understand, uh, hard to perceive. And I think what Jesus is doing there is he's resetting our narrative somewhat. He's having us see the world in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I think that by taking in those sayings on the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the, the biblical teaching, that uh, that's what we're doing. Yeah, We're aligning our narratives with the narrative that's been given to us. Yeah, it's a relationally, still a relationally constructed thing. Yeah, thing. yeah it still comes out relationally. Yeah. In our relationship with uh, with those narratives, with the stories. Yeah, and so maybe the great spiritual teachers, or even just the the you know world religions themselves, are are there to challenge at times the conventional wisdom or the mm-hmm. genuine, generally accepted um, truths, which we think of as as objective, but you know they're sort of being challenged and like yeah. Um, be, being constructed as we go and move and move right. through time and and so that's right as a culture we have certain <clears throat> beliefs we have certain uh, cultural norms that we all hold to and I think you know whether you're talking about religions or different cultures or different power structures whatever it is uh, you have to turn some of those cultural norms on their head and you yeah. start to question them and challenge them. And that can be a really good thing. Um, it can be disorienting, right? but um, I think it can also be very helpful. Yeah. So uh, you find that it's helpful to kind of help people talk through their Absolutely. spirituality and their beliefs in, in therapy. Yeah, right. Um, like I said, I, you know, I come from a Christian perspective, but I'm very, um, you know, respectful, even curious, I think, about my my clients' beliefs. Yeah. And again, you know, they're the professional on their own life. They they know their yeah. story better than I do. So my job is to come alongside them and to hear their story, including their spiritual views, um, and, and the way that they've grown spiritually in their life. And let them kind of teach me about that. And then as uh, as I do, as I enter that process with them, enriching that spiritual part of their lives is part of the work that I do. And it's always, you know, it always goes hand in hand with this narrative idea of growing and learning and conceptualizing yourself in a different way. So yeah, it's very important. Right. That's great. I'm curious about just um, your, your therapy and just the, the the process that you walk 
that you walk people through. I mean, it's 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 a narrative kind of process, and so are you are you tracking on a meta kind of process their what's going on and kind of their progress to therapy or how does that work for you yeah i see clients going through different phases of therapy with me as i step back and look at my process you know initially when clients come in they have a, a certain problem something that they're concerned about distressed over maybe and so um, I try to give them tools to address those problems right off the bat because I feel like that's the pressing issue. That's the important thing. Um, so we work on things like we might use CBT strategies. We might use narrative strategies, things like learning relaxation skills, learning coping skills. Um, we might use the open chair technique, which is a, a narrative strategy. Um, we'll do a lot of different things. I might use some... Uh, some thought distortion challenges, uh, mindfulness exercises, but all the while on a deeper level, I'm try already trying to get my clients to uh, spell their story out clearly and then to challenge elements of it, hmm. to ask themselves, are these uh, perceptions helpful? Were these things part of the problem? So what, what would an example of that be? Well, I think, you know, let's talk about depression for a minute, you know. Um, people come in and they talk to me about how they feel depressed and down, hopeless. Um, some of them maybe are contemplating suicide, ending their life. Um, they feel like there's not much left for them. It's a very disempowered place. Mm -hmm. From a narrative standpoint, that's important that they are experiencing a sense of disempowerment and so one of the things I do as an intervention aside from just offering things like coping skills which we know are helpful tangible tool. tangible mm -hmm. tools yeah you know uh, I talk to them about um, you know a positive activity schedule you know things like that that they can actually practice but I'll tell them stories as a way of challenging their own narrative Sometimes these stories are based in psychological research. One of the things that I tell a lot of depressed clients is um, a story about this study where they had a dog, um, and again, this is before the days of ethics boards and all that, but they had a dog and they, they had this mechanism, I guess it was kind of like a treadmill that had two sides. And between the two sides, there was a uh, kind of a fence. It wasn't a very tall fence, but it was definitely an obstacle. So they'd put this dog on one side here, and this dog was sitting on this like treadmill-like base, and they thought, hmm, what would happen if we sent electric shocks through this base, through this floor? So they did it. They shocked the dog through this floor, and the dog didn't like it, so he jumps over the fence onto the other base, right? And the stress was relieved. The electric shock was gone. Happy dog. So these examiners, being the cruel individuals that they were, said, well, what happens if we do it to this other side now? So they would shock that side, and all of a sudden the dog didn't like that too, so he jumps and he gets to the other side where it's safe and he's no longer being shocked. So then the examiners stroked their beards and said, what would happen if we shocked both sides? Well, the dog initially jumped and then maybe jumped again, but realizing that it didn't really matter 
what he did. He just laid down. And they labeled this learned helplessness, that the dog had learned through these experiences that it doesn't matter what I do, I'm still going to be in pain. Mm. I'm still going to be in shock. So why do anything? Mm -hmm. And that is depression. Mm. And so I'll tell that story to my clients. And all of a sudden, they're challenging their narrative. They're going, is, is it true that nothing that I do will help? Am I really that stuck that no matter what I do, I'm not getting out of this? And through that subtle story, they're already starting to change their narrative. Mm -hmm. So you're using story to kind of, you're essentially kind of pulling their story out right. and putting it into, you know, another kind of context or a story. That's right. right. And That's right. helping them kind of externalize it and... Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. And um, yeah, I like that you use the word externalize because that's a, a key component to narrative also, is we want clients to see their problem uh, not as just part of themselves, but as kind of an, an external character maybe in their story. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. people have written letters to their depression yeah, like an aspect of them, but yeah, it's important right. to get them to understand That's that they right. are not that. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't want them identifying with their sense of self being, I am bad, I am this this bad thing that I don't like. Mm -hmm. Some of these core, core kind of beliefs then. Yes, almost. right. Yeah, from CBT, it looks very much you know like a schema or a core belief. It, it actually, if you go back into the history of narrative, it draws from that. And the idea is to identify those beliefs and start to challenge them. It's awesome. So the, yeah, what you're doing with people in therapy, it sounds like is um, a lot of like just helping them to be empowered. Yes. Right. Which Empowerment. Is, That's right. They're kind of the owner of their story, but also like just through even psychological testing and just the insight and self-knowledge and, and things like that it gives them. A sense of empowerment. You, That's right. You know, I like that <clears throat> the story about the experiment with the dog. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a, people are feeling pretty helpless when they're depressed, and so like, right? Somehow, you know, talking to them about how it seems like they maybe have no good options helps them to develop some sort of hopefulness somehow by yeah. by maybe questioning that narrative about their life. Um, which is great. Yeah. When you're depressed, you need to feel empowered. Absolutely. And it all happens in the context of <clears throat> this genuine human interaction. I mean, if you think about it yeah. from like an evolutionary perspective, we've been telling stories for years. Right. You know, it, it helps us make sense of our world. Bingo. It's... And so when we sit together, this therapy relationship is a powerful thing. And as we tell stories, tell our stories to one another, this is one of the reasons that I like to be appropriately open with my clients about my life is because it, it is impactful. Yeah. It changes the way they see the world, the way that they live their lives. And as you know, we talk about these stories together and talk about their story, real change starts to happen. It's like you were saying a minute ago, Brandon. They start to realize, conceptualize things differently. And all of a sudden, they approach their lives in a different way. Mm -hmm. It's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful process to be a part of. Yeah. I like the idea of using story 
yeah. intentionally and specifically because you're right. I mean, that's how humans have been making sense since, you know, from yeah. from the beginning. It's right. it's how we make sense. We start with a concept and then there's two concepts and then guess what? There's the beginning of a story, right? Yep. And that, that's... Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this works wonderfully with children too. Children love yeah, right. to tell stories. Right. And so... You know, one of the things we can do together as therapist and client is to tell a mutual story, you know, create some characters together and tell a story together. And then what happens if you change this element of the story or what happens if this challenge all of a sudden presents itself yeah. and let the, uh, the client use their own, uh, their own resources and yeah. uh, their own self to work through that. Yeah. Just that word story, I feel like, is sort of a comforting. It's a, to me, it's a warm word. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and people love story and they're always creating story. You know, you think about movies and books and, yep. um, you know, the things that are really, that we really connect with and are powerful for us in our lives are yeah. stories. And just, you know, seeing ourselves in our own story, um, you know, I think is helpful. People, people tend to think of, of um, some of these things, um, psychology, you know, sort of like um, even thinking about ourselves from a medical perspective, thinking mm -hmm. I have these symptoms, you right. know, and I need to yeah. um, get some treatment, you know, doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound, that sounds very sterile to me. And, it's cold, right? And yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't sound like fun, yeah. <laughs> you know, or interesting even. Um, I mean, some of those concepts might be interesting, but like, what really gets people going is being part of a story mm -hmm. um, and you know our own stories and and how we are in them and how we view ourselves um, in our own stories is a really like I feel like if people can really settle into their own story yeah. um, in a way that feels comfortable to them and is mm -hmm. you know where they're able to you know, sort of live out their values and the things that are important to them and, th that's their, right. and their desires and goals too, you know, yes. are always part of their story. Like yeah. that's, that's Because stories have a, a past, but they also yeah. have, stories yeah. have a future, right? right? Stories are going somewhere. Yeah. And so if you can yeah. pull those into the present and say, what are those yeah. goals? What are you living into? Where's this story yeah. headed? Cause, yeah, because no matter how, like how much people are struggling, like they, they always, you know, in their deepest selves have these really like um they're just still connected with the things that are important to them you know whether that's yeah. their just deeply held values or like the things that they've always wanted for their life yeah um and so like just helping them story i think is a way of helping them connect with those things that mm -hmm. are just like really deep in their psyche and in their yeah. you know in their say in their heart yeah right um so it's uh, yeah that idea of story. Hearing you talk about narrative like it helps me reconnect with that. Mm -hmm. It's really it is a beautiful sort of way of talking to people about their own lives, right, and connecting with people. Right, and know? it's so broad. It's awesome, you know. Yeah, it gives us um, a reason to explore not just the client's symptoms, but yeah. you know how are they connecting with their spouse? What's yeah. their family relationships like? Where do they spend their time? What does their day look like? Are they in school? Are they working? What is that environment like? All of that stuff, it's all connected in this construct 
the story and it's all important for therapy right yeah i think that's an awesome way of helping people connect with themselves and just getting motivated you know to get to get what they want out of life and to like get better not from a you know what's wrong with me standpoint but like what's important to me and Mm-hmm. What do I want out of life, and who and who am I? You know, in terms right. of this story. So that's awesome. It's funny it's because about. one of uh, one of the questions that I was recently asked when doing something like this was, "What do you do when you get stuck in therapy? Mm-hmm. When you don't know where to go?" And I think mm-hmm. that's a great question. What, what What do you do when you get stuck? And so after thinking about it for a minute, I was kind of stumped. I said, "Well, typically what I'll do is I'll review where we've come from. I'll summarize." And in a way, what I was saying is, you rehearse the story again. Right, right. You start from the beginning and say, how did we get here? <laughs> and where was that leading us? What road were we on? Yeah. And uh, I think that's incredibly helpful. It gives us a way of approaching so many different subjects. Uh, it's a very helpful yeah. uh, thing for therapy. I used to read those Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid. Oh, there you Do you go. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love those. Yeah. And then it would lead you to a different place and you know, that's that's limited. There's not you know, but like in your life story, like there's infinite possibilities <laughs> almost, you know, for We need like a therapeutic choose your own choose your own therapy outcome. Right. Maybe we could <laughs> compute we if could you take create the a mindfulness track, you're gonna go this way. <laughs> we, yeah. We could create some computer software maybe with like infinite possibilities for how your story turns out. Yeah be interesting maybe someone who's smarter than us could do that yeah if only it were that simple right like if we could just know the outcomes uh, yeah or have that lined out for us but even still i mean knowing that we're caught up in a story i think that's a good thing i think that is a yeah. helpful thing to to look at our lives to see that and then to figure out okay how do i go forward from here yeah super powerful man it's good to Good to listen to you talk about it. Appreciate what you're doing for people and here, you know, helping them get to know themselves better. And yeah, it's my pleasure. Like I said, I walking alongside them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get to witness things that are so cool, and that's the other beautiful thing about this profession is, you know, people don't often know it, but we grow from this as much as they do. No doubt. You know, yeah. I, I tell people like you may have been in like. 20 sessions of therapy in this last year, but I've probably been in like 200. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And they impact me, every right. single one of them. It's kind of a give and take. That's right. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. You're sharing your story with yeah. with someone else, right? Who's a human being. That's and right. The, the therapist is a process. human being too. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. We get encouragement from that. Just. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a cool thing. See people in their stories and see healing take place that be a part of their healing journey. So. That's right. It's awesome. Thanks for coming to talk to us. Yeah, thank you guys.